Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You doing good? It's a full crowd. Full crowd today. That's good. So, you've all heard this phrase, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. That's right. We all know about it. Whether you're married or not, you know there is a big difference between men and women. There just is. I've got two little boys and a little girl. My boys love to fight one another and my little girl who just turned one, seriously, she will bring me a handful of bows out of her closet and want to try them on. And I'll put one on of her head. She'll like look at me and bat her big, beautiful eyes. And she's like, tell me I'm beautiful. And so <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. So I do. You look pretty, Ellie. You look really pretty. She'll take it off. And here's another one. Let's try this one on. It's crazy. My boys never did that. They never did that, right? <clears throat> There's a big difference between men and women. Wes and I often joke, and I might dig a hole here. Wes, or Lynn's not here, so, so yeah, hopefully she doesn't listen online. We'll, we'll edit this part out. We, <laughs> you know, like, where, is he, where are you going? I'll tell you. We joke a lot. We drive old cars because it's cheap and economical, and I like my Buick. It's nice. Rachel doesn't, but I like it. We drive old cars, and when we ask our wives if there's a car problem, their response, what they give us, is usually not very helpful. And it's not because they're not trying. They do try. They just don't speak car, right? Not all women are like that, but the women in our lives are. Now, I'm done with you, and I'm just going to dig this hole by myself now, so you're out of it. You're out of it. When we do construction projects in my house, there is conflict, usually. And it's, I told Rachel before we get up, I was like, I'm going to make fun of you, Rachel. She's like, oh, great. It's like, okay, I'm, it's, you'll be okay. I'm going to throw myself under the bus later. So there's, you hear, everybody's like, it's got tense. Just calm down. It's okay. We have a great marriage. We're working on it. But when we do construction, there's conflict, right? And it's not about like what we're going to do. We actually have very similar taste. And so we're, we're on the same page normally. And I have this annoying habit when there isn't conflict to, with my tone, act like there is, right? And so we'll be having a conversation about the same thing, and it feels like an argument. It's like, oh, I'm not arguing. Why are you, what? And I, I, it's my tone. I have a tone problem, right? And so we'll explain things. It's like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to knock this down and build this and put this tub here and knock this down. And then I'll look at her, and it's like, she looks confused. I'm like, what about what I just said? Wasn't clear. It's perfectly clear in my head. I spoke the words. You heard it. Are you stupid? Now, now, give me some credit. I, I'm old enough and wise enough. I'm not super wise, but I've been in Jesus long enough that you never ask your wife, are you stupid? So the words don't actually come out of my mouth, but the way I say things make it sound like, well, are you stupid, right? So I'm aware of this. I have a tone problem. It's not okay. It's not, well, that's just Levi. That's just his personality. No, it's okay. it is my personality, but it needs to change. And so I'm working on it. Pray for my wife. But we have these communication breakdowns where we can be talking about the same thing. We're actually both on the same page. And yet it's like, we can't come together. We all experience this because men and women communicate vastly differently. We just do. 
We do. We can be talking about the same thing, but the way that we explain it, we can even be agreeing with one another. But the words that don't come out, they just, it sounds like our wires are crossing. Now, sometimes there's a complete breakdown in miscommunication. She's hearing things with the pink earmuffs, and I'm speaking with the blue megaphone, and it is just not connecting, right? That happens too. That is exactly, is, that's exactly what is happening today in our text, Okay, if, if men and women are from, if men, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, then the crowd we're going to read about is from Earth, and Jesus is from heaven. And so there's a big breakdown in communication because they're coming at things from an earthly perspective, and Jesus says things that from an earthly perspective are crazy, and they're like, what? And they grumble, and they complain, and then they leave. So there's a big miscommunication because the crowd is from Earth, and Jesus is from heaven. So I want to look at this text with you this morning and hopefully break down this misunderstanding in hopes that you and I are going to leave in a better place than what this crowd does. So I want to read about it in its entirety, and I apologize up front. This is way too many verses. You say, why did you do this? I'm like, I don't know, but we're going to do it. We're going to read all of it in its entirety, and then we're going to look at it in a way that is actually, if you're going to study the Bible, if you read the Bible and you're like, I don't know what this says. Like, I know we all feel that sometimes. There are three questions that you can ask when you're coming to the Bible that are super helpful we're going to use to analyze this text this morning. What does the Bible, what does this text say about me as a person, as a human? What does it say about Jesus? And then if any of this is true, what are, what are we supposed to change? How are we supposed to live differently? What are we supposed to do in response to who Jesus is? So as we read, think about those three questions. What does this tell us about human nature? What does this tell us us about who Jesus is? And if this is true, what are we going to do with Jesus? Okay, let's read it together. Uh, This is uh, John chapter 6, starting in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, so Jesus had just, he fed the 5,000 miraculously, and then he walked on water. Two huge miracles. Remember that. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you aren't looking for me because you saw the signs I performed, but you ate, your, you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, What do we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, well, what sign are you going to do for us? What sign will you give us so that we might believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. They're trying to like, you know, get him with the Bible, quote scripture at him. Look, it's written. Here's what it says. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Where's the bread, Jesus? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, It's not Moses who's given the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they say, always give us this bread. We want that. Then Jesus declared, I am that bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you don't believe. And those the Father gives me, they'll come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, 
not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the father who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given to me, but raise them up on the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And at this, the Jews began to grumble, 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 grumble to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus? Isn't this the son of Joseph, his father, his mother? We know them. How does he say, I've come down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent him draws them and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, the ones you quoted scripture at me about, they ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. More grumbling. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? We don't even eat pork. He wants us to try human? What? 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 Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat my flesh, the, son of, the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Jesus, what are you saying? Stop saying these things. You're scaring the children. Jesus, or just as as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said all this while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, And this is a hard teaching. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Are you guys offended? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. You see, Jesus sometimes speaks figuratively, to communicate a literal truth. He's not being literal here. He's saying, I'm speaking spiritually. Spiritual words that give spiritual life. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
And then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Okay, deep breath. That was a lot of text there. So first of all, first question, what does this reveal about who we are? If we examine the crowd, we, we look at kind of how they act, how they respond, we can learn a lot about us as humans. And the first thing we can learn is that we are from earth. We're earthly. We're earthly minded. What I mean by this is that by default, we only think about, care about our body and life in this world, right? We don't think, focus a whole lot on eternal life. We're focused by and large on the things that pertain to this world. We're consumed with what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, where we're going to live, what we're going to drive. We're concerned with with money, with sex, with, with power. We think about comfort and security, and we pursue all of the things that the world is selling. And that's exactly what this crowd is after. They ate their fill, and they were physically satisfied with Jesus' free lunch, right? They didn't have to expel any energy, any money. They love that. And so now they're having these visions of a utopian society where Jesus is their supernatural bed breaker, bread baker, say that 10 times fast. He's their supernatural bread baker. And they're they're, they're having this idea, this vision where it's like, we don't have to work anymore to live. Jesus, you you bake all the food. We'll, We'll hang out. We'll party. We'll retire early. Now, I'm willing to bet that every single person in here knows around the time that they're going to retire, right? We've all thought about it. And that idea of retiring early, it's, it's kind of a nice idea. We're all, we'd, we'd all love that. We'd, we'd love to retire early. And so the Jews are coming to Jesus and they're saying, hey, you made the bread. We can retire early on your dime. Let's do this. Let's do this, Jesus. You be king. You feed us. You take care of us. And we'll just, we'll just move down by the Mediterranean Sea there, set up shop, and we'll just... We'll, We'll collect seashells. It'll be great. That's what they're thinking about. That's what they're thinking about. They're thinking of Jesus in strictly earthly terms. And this is our default. As human beings, this is how we think. What does this world have to offer? How can I suck all of the joy and pleasure and comfort and security out of life that there is? And Jesus, if you could help me do that, I would appreciate it right? Here's my idea of a good life, the good life. Retire early. Jesus, why not, can, you, can you help me achieve my idea of the good life? What do I need to do for you to make that happen? So this reveals another thing. We're earthly-minded, and we're works-oriented. You can see how the crowd responds to Jesus. We think We think by default in earthly, physical terms, and we're works-oriented. The crowd comes to Jesus, and they said, we ate for free. That was great. We like that. We'd like to retire early. You'd be our supernatural food handler. What what do we do for you to make that happen for us? What do you need from me, Jesus? What do you need from me? What do I got to do to make you do what I want you to? All right? This is how the world does religion. This is how the world does religion. God, we want a better life. If you exist, then we think you can deliver on that. So what do we need, need to do for you to do that for us, to make that happen? Every other religion apart, apart from Christianity uses fear as the main motivation for this, right? Do this and God will give you good things. 
If you make him happy, if you please God, he'll make your life what you want it to be. And if you don't, well, then look out. Punishment, fear, right? This is how religion works. This is how the world thinks about religion. Follow these rules, feel good about yourself. Don't and get punished. Get demoted. Maybe you get reincarnated as bug. You didn't live a good life? Well, God's going to, you know, you're coming back as a bug. Maybe you live like the cosmic force of, of karma. Well, do bad things and, well, karma, you know, you say that, bad thing. Well, karma, you must have been doing something bad. You get, get repaid with bad things because you do bad things. Do good, keep God happy, keep him performing for you. Do bad and look out. Fear, fear. This is how the world thinks of God. It's kind of how we treat one another too, the whole contract thing. If you do this, I'll do this, right? That's why marriage fails so often. Treat it as a contract instead of a covenant. Regardless of how you love, I'm gonna love you. Doesn't matter. You treat me bad, you get sick, it doesn't, it's not fun anymore, I'm in it because this isn't a contract. It's not about what you do, it's about the covenant, the commitment that I've made. But that's not how we think. We think in terms of contracts, of, of do this and, and then this will happen. Perform and good things will happen. Fail and bad things will happen. And we, we hear this all the time. If you, if you speak to someone towards the end of their life, well, I sure hope I did enough. That's this thinking at work. I sure hope I did enough. I hope I did enough that God will let me in. I hope I did enough that, that good things will happen. I hope I did enough. I hope I did enough. It's our default setting. It's wrong. We'll get to that in a second. So we're earthly minded by default. We think God needs our, a good performance from us so that we can get him to do what we want. What else can we learn about this passage? Well, another thing I think we can learn is that we love supernatural power. We're not a big fan of objective truth, right? The crowds love the miracles. They love it. Jesus walking on water. He's giving free bread. He's healing people. It's awesome. It's great. They love the supernatural power. It's exciting and mysterious. It doesn't really ask a whole lot from them. But when Jesus starts speaking, they kind of get upset. Why is that? Well, Jesus' miracles, you see, they served to affirm his message, but they weren't the message. They weren't the message. Jesus didn't come to perform miracles. He came to preach the gospel. He came to make objective factual truth claims about his identity as God and what that means for you and me. You see, miracles, we can kind of interpret however we want. We can receive the good from them. They don't really force us to change much about our lives. They're kind of just there. They're cool. They're, they're awesome. Healing is fantastic, but it doesn't require a whole lot from us. But when Jesus starts preaching... When Jesus starts making objective truth claims, those, those truths that he's sharing start to threaten these people and our way of life, the way we live, the way we think, the way we spend our time, our money. They, they begin to impose on us. You see, if what Jesus said is true, we might have to change some things. We might have to think differently about some things. We might have to start living a little differently. And we don't like being told what to do. So we like the supernatural miracles, but we don't like preachers. We don't like preachers. We don't like, we don't like people making objective claims, trying to say, this is true, live differently. We don't like that. Miracles can be interpreted however we want, but you can't manipulate the truth 
Two plus two is four. It doesn't matter what you say. You can't change it. You can't. It forces us to make a decision. And we don't really like that. See, truth requires change. And we don't like change. And we especially don't like change if the changes that are required were not our idea. That's hard. Or if the changes that are required challenge our comfort. That's hard. Challenge our, our, our identity, our our agenda. That's hard. We're earthly focused. We're works oriented. We like miracles, but not truth. And we're grumblers. We're grumblers. Human beings are great at grumbling. We grumble about all kinds of things. From the text, we can see three things that they grumble about. They grumble about the familiar, right? This is old hat. This is boring. This is boring. We're obsessed with the new and shiny. New is better. The new phone, the new gadget, a new wife, a new, new is better, right? We like the new. The crowd isn't astonished with Jesus anymore. They grew up with him. They grew up with him. How many have grown up in church? You sick of hearing Levi say the same thing every Sunday? Spoiler alert. I say the same thing every Sunday. <laughs> Love Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Live your life for Jesus. That's our message. And some of us aren't astonished by that anymore, right? Oh, what? this is Joseph's kid. This is, we grew up with him. We, we played with, he says he's from heaven. Come on, grumble, 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 grumble. See, familiarity can lead to grumbling. Tell me something new, pastor. I'm tired of all this Jesus stuff. Tell me something new. Church, never grow tired of hearing the gospel. It's beautiful. It is magnificent. It is the only message that we need to hear. Don't get sick of it. Don't let familiarity be grumbling in your hearts. Stay astonished at what Christ has done. It's amazing. We grumble about the familiar. We grumble when we hear something we don't understand. How can this guy give us his flesh to eat? We're not cannibals. We're not vampires. This isn't twilight. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Right? It's hard to understand. Sometimes we grumble with things in Scripture because we don't understand it. We don't understand it. Don't grumble if you don't understand if you don't understand something. Study. Ask your pastor. Ask a friend. Read a commentary. Pray. And ask the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. And after you've done all of that, if you still don't understand, there's still some hard stuff in there. Humbly trust God with the mysterious salvation that he has given to us. We grumble about the old hat, familiar things. We grumble when we hear something we don't understand. And we grumble, and this one is especially true, when we hear something we don't like. Clark, go pick up your room. Grumble, 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 right? I don't want to do that. We grumble when we, when we hear something we don't, don't like. This is true with Jesus. Jesus, this is a hard saying. Grumble. Jesus, could you, could you maybe tone it down a little bit? Jesus, you're scaring the children. Shh, rethink your message. That, that's not gonna sell today. You need, to go, you need to work on your marketing, Jesus. Eat my flesh? No, change the message. Fix it. Grumble, grumble, grumble. We grumble when Jesus says, we, we don't, says things we don't like. And notice what Jesus does. I love this because I'm a fairly give-it-to-me-straight kind of guy. I love this. Jesus doesn't change his message. He doubles down on it, right? 
I'm the bread of life that's come down from heaven. Oh, don't say that. It's weird. Okay. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Jesus, what are you saying? You're making it worse, right? You see, church, we can come to the Bible and try to change the things that we don't like and grumble about the hard truths that we don't like. No, that's not what it means. Here's the correct interpretation. If you study history and this, that, and the other, well, this is what it really means. Grumble, grumble, grumble. It doesn't mean what it looks like it means. Ah, You're reading it wrong, right? Let's change it. We can grumble about those things and try and change scripture that we don't like, or we can receive God's message as it is and receive it for what it was meant to do. We can seek to change and grumble about the things we don't like, or we can let the word of God change us. And that's what it was meant to do. You see, there's only one of those two ways that leads to life. You can grumble about the hard sayings of God or you can humble yourself before them. Father, this is hard, but I love you and I trust you. You're a good father, perfect in all of your ways, even if I can't understand all of them. Change my heart on this. Help me delight in your truth. So that's what this text says about us. What does it say about Jesus? What does it say about Jesus? Well, firstly, it says Jesus is from heaven. He says it over and over and over again, just in this passage. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I've seen the Father. He sent me. You guys don't believe? Will you believe when I send back to where I came from, which is heaven? <laughs> right? Jesus is from heaven. This means that his, his default perspective is different than ours. He's not concerned primarily With this life, he's thinking about the big picture. He's thinking about the big picture. And because of that, when Jesus speaks, sometimes we have misunderstandings because men are from Mars and women are from Venus and we're from heaven and Jesus is from earth. And so sometimes there's a breakdown. There's a breakdown in this. Jesus is is heavenly, which means he thinks about eternal things over and above earthly things. But don't misunderstand me, church. I'm not saying Jesus isn't concerned with your life here and now. He is. He made your physical body. He made you to need food and need sleep. He made all that is, and he said it was good. Jesus loves the physical realities of this life, and he cares about them. But he doesn't want any one of us to think that's all that there is. And so Jesus comes from heaven to lift our eyes beyond earth, beyond the sun, He comes down from heaven and he says, lift your head, weary sinners. Look to me. Don't just think about today or this world. Don't just live live for today or the physical existence. You see, we're concerned with just this life and our food spoils and even the best fishing trips, you have to have another one or the best vacation, it ends and you, you have to have another one or you cross three things off your list and four more appear, right? Or you walk in your closet, you have an updated wardrobe today, and three months later, I have nothing to wear, right? (laughs) That's because this life is frustratingly fleeting. And so Jesus says, loved one, there's so much more. Lift your eyes, look up, look up. Find your meaning beyond this world. Find it in me. The crowd is living for today and Jesus sees that they're missing out and so he confronts them. He's heavenly 
and he is also confrontational. He's confrontational because Jesus loves us. He will not allow us to go through this life deceived and delusional. He will confront us when we hold mistaken views about him or about our reality. As we learned last week, Jesus isn't a pushover, and he is more committed to truth than our personal happiness. See, if we're happy but deceived, Jesus knows that it's not real happiness. It's death dressed up in a tuxedo, right? So he'll drop truth bombs around us to shake us up, to make us aware of the darkness that we're living in. But he does so in a very personal and relational way. He doesn't confront us from heaven. He comes down from heaven to earth. He's relational. He's confrontational. He's relational. Remember we talked about how we're kind of works-oriented and we like religion and rules and we like to relate to God based on fear. And this is how all religion apart from Christianity is built. But not so with Jesus. See, Jesus is the only God that came to us. He doesn't stand far off and say, okay, get, get to me. He says, no, you can't. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. He doesn't stand far off and say, well, I hope you can get up here, and if you don't, oh, there, hell's gonna pay, right? Oh, yeah, nice try. No, that's not God. He comes down to us. He, he meets with us because he doesn't want religion based on fear. He wants relationship based on love. You see, he came to do the works that you and I could never do so that we could enjoy a relationship with God. It's not that God isn't concerned with works. He is. But he knows that you and I and no one could ever perform them perfectly to earn salvation, to earn relationship, to earn joy. So he sends Jesus to do the work that you and I could never do. And so we look to Jesus. We look to his finished work and we receive relationship. And that should put a loving feeling in your heart where it's not that works don't matter. They don't matter in salvation. The only work that matters is the work of Jesus. When you understand that Christ came and he loved you and he moved towards you while you were still unworthy, that should fill you up with love like if you have a, a grandpa in your life that you love or a father in your life that you love or a friend in your life that you love that they just love you and they take care of you and they're with you. You want to serve that person, not out of fear of punishment, but, but because you care about what they think. See, this isn't religion. It's relationship. And Jesus wants a relationship. This text is dripping with relationship. He came, he left heaven, and he makes himself known. He, he came because he loves he wants to have a relationship with us. Jesus is heavenly, he's confrontational, he's relational, and he's patient. He's patient, but he's unwavering in his message. See, the crowd is earthly-minded. They, they miss Jesus' heavenly message, much like the whole men and, and Mars and women and Venus thing. The crowd misses it, but Jesus keeps pressing the issue. Shows he's patient, yet unwavering to his message. See, nothing in this world will satisfy any one of us. It just won't. Jesus is the only way to soul-satisfying salvation. If you want to live, you must eat his flesh and drink his blood. Jesus says, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That's what it says about Jesus. That's what it says about us. If that's true, what are we supposed to do with Jesus? Well, the text gives us a couple options. Three, 
We can leave and abandon Jesus. Say, nope, not doing it. This is overt unbelief. It's like you, you just, you're clear, you don't love Jesus, you don't want anything to do with Jesus. I tried that Jesus thing. I was cool with the promises of Jesus. Those are great. I want to have a satisfying life. I want to get friends and, and family. I thought he could help me get what I want in this life, but then he, then he started to try and change me. Then some of his people started to tell me that there are certain things that, that I really like, that I want to do, and they said that Jesus isn't cool with that, right? That's when I decided I'm out. This is too hard. It's not worth it. Some of it didn't even make sense. You can keep all that Jesus stuff, all that, that cult Jesus stuff. You can have it. I'm out of here. I'm out. That's the one response. You can just plainly throw up your hands and leave, leave it all behind. Or you can pretend to follow Jesus, like Judas. And this, is, and this is kind of a scary situation here. To anyone around Jesus and the disciples, Judas looked like a disciple. He looked, he looked like everyone else, right? He talked like a disciple. At least before others, he acted like a disciple, but he wasn't. See, he cleaned up his outward appearance but his heart never changed. The whole time he was following Jesus, but he was still working to achieve his own agenda. This is covert unbelief, and it is a very subtle beast. The only person who knows who these folks are is God, and maybe, maybe themselves. So I just want to say, if you're thinking at all that you might just be pretending with this whole Jesus thing, if you're feeling convic- convicted at all by the Holy Spirit, Pray. Ask the Lord, because he has the power to, to take you from a pretender to an authentic believer in Jesus. And you will begin to look differently from the inside out. You can turn away, you can pretend, or you can trust and depend on Jesus. You can believe in him. We can consume Jesus. This is how the disciples respond. Lord, it's been a tough day. Church, there's going to be some tough days with Jesus. There just are. This has been a tough day. Jesus, we had all these people. We had a huge crowd, right? Our church got big. That's what we're trying to do. Get more people in the kingdom. We had all, and then you performed, performed a reverse crusade. You drove them all away. Jesus, what are you doing? You're scaring the children, right? Eat my flesh, drink my... Stop saying that. It's hard. It doesn't make any sense. It's been a tough day, Jesus. You called one of us a devil. And you didn't say which one. It's not me. Who is it? It's you. No, it's not me, right? Can you imagine how that went? One of you is a devil. What? Which one? I don't know. Jesus, it's been a tough day. It, you said hard things. You said crazy things. Vampires and cannibals. What are you even talking about? I don't know. And Peter says, oh, I can't go anywhere else, though, because I trust you. You're it, Lord. You're the most precious thing there is, even though you say crazy things sometimes, even though I don't understand what you're doing sometimes. I can't go to anybody else. You have the words of eternal life. We're not going anywhere. Even if you sink this thing, we're sinking with you. Lead on. Press through. Guide me. Take me by the hand and lead me, because I don't have a clue where we're going. Take me by the hand, Lord. Take me by the hand. And we can learn what this trust, what this belief, this dependence on Jesus looks like by thinking through eating. By thinking through eating. You see, as with eating, 
Hunger has to come first. If you're not hungry, you won't eat. So God awakens in us a spiritual hunger. Lord, my job, it's rough. It's just not giving me the satisfaction that I thought it was going to. Lord, I got a, I got a nice bank account. I'm actually going to retire a few years early. It feels kind of empty. Lord, I, 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 my kids, I got married. It's not what I thought it was going to be, right? We get hungry. This world isn't offering the things we thought it would. And we start searching. We start searching. So too with Christ. Um, we have to realize that apart from his work in our life, we're doomed. So we got to get hungry before we can start searching for Jesus. We got to realize our sin, that we're sinful, and Jesus is the only hope for our salvation. Christ draws us to himself, and then we decide. He draws us, we decide. They're both true. You come to Jesus to eat. As with food, just looking at the food doesn't do you any good, right? Unless you eat food, it's, it's of no use to you. You've got to consume it. So too with Jesus, just looking at him, just understanding the facts isn't enough. It does no good for you unless you internalize his truth and begin to act upon it. That's taking a bite. Seeing Jesus and acting on his truth. And as with eating, our taking a bite expresses trust. We trust that the food we consume will not harm us, that it, will, it won't make us sick. It will be good, to, good for us. We trust that the food that, that we'll eat, that it's going to do its work in us. If I told you to make sure you did your work to suck all the nutrients out of your food, you'd be like, what? Me do my work. I don't have to do any work. I just eat it. I just receive it. I just take it in, Right? We can't do anything to make our food work. We trust the process. The same is true of Christ. We, don't, we can't do anything, any work to get right with God. So we take Jesus in and put our trust into his work. Say, how does the digestive system work? I don't know. You take food in and small intestine, big intestine, and it comes out. I don't, I don't know, right? We trust in, in what is unseen, the same is true with Jesus. Don't trust in what is seen. Trust in what is unseen. Take in Jesus. Take him in and let his work take over in your life. As you begin to consume Jesus, he becomes a part of you, as with food. When we eat it, the food we eat becomes one with our bodies, providing nourishment, giving strength, satisfying our hunger so too as we take in Christ, we're united to him in a very unique and mysterious way that brings nourishment to our souls, joy that the world can't take away or explain, power to live life. It satisfies us. And lastly, as with eating food, you can't eat for someone else. Consuming Christ is personal. Just as no one can eat a meal for another, no one can express saving faith for someone else. The decision lies on you. The band can come up and we'll wrap up here. God draws us, you decide. He draws us to himself, you make a decision. Have you made the right decision? Have you partaken of Jesus? Or have you decided to follow him? See, God provides the, provides the meal we have to take it in. Is Christ a more real part of your day than breakfast, lunch, and dinner? It's a good question.
might not always be true. Hopefully it's more true in your life than not. Is it difficult for you to think of life without Jesus? Lord, where else would I go? Are you more concerned with your works or with God's works through Jesus in you? That's a tough one. Feel like you don't measure up? You're thinking works-minded. You do measure it up, not because of how you perform, but because of how Christ performed for you. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, and you'll live. You'll live. Consume Jesus, church. He's the one who can provide you with the nourishment for your soul. Stop eating junk food. It doesn't satisfy. Eat the true food. Drink the real drink of God. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Thanks for your commitment to pursue us. Lord, thanks for confronting us when we have mistaken uh, ideas about who you are. Thanks that you are unwavering in your commitment to the truth. Lord, help us when we don't understand not to grumble. Help us when we don't like what you've said not to grumble. Help us humble ourselves before your word And Lord Jesus, go to work on our hearts. Change us from the inside out. Help us not to turn away. Help us not to pretend. But Lord, make us authentic believers who consume Jesus daily. Nourish our souls. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.